Broadcasting from the past and into the future. This is the Green Hour with Dan and Jerry. Recording. There. Okay. All right. It's good to go. So, hello and welcome to a new episode of the Green Hour with Dan and Jerry. I'm Jerry. With me is Dan, and also we have Absinthia with us. Yeah. Finally. Hooray! If we had applause, we would uh, we would insert that there. Yeah, I would. I I need to put that on the soundboard that we just got. I think so. I think so. (laughs) So, so Cynthia, first, uh, first of all, uh, uh, longtime admirer, and I'm so glad you're on the show because I, I know Jerry's got some show notes here. I've got some questions I want to ask you, uh, but first and foremost, really thank you for taking time out uh, of your schedule to come here and talk to us. Oh it yeah, is, it is my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Great. I am also. I am drinking some of your absinthe right now, and nice. it is delicious. Well, I am not, sadly, because uh, I was slow on the uptake and did not order any. But uh, but I, I will be placing an order soon. I will be placing well, you're right there in the area, Dan. You could actually probably go and get it from BevMo or something. Oh, I thought you were going to say she could leave it on the porch and I'd just go pick it up. <laughs> no. I, I mean, that works, too. It's not actually available at BevMo. And, oh. uh, you know, as things have slowed down with the, yeah. the pandemic and everything, Probably getting it from my website is the easiest and fastest way at this point. Well, it's a, that's oh. a better, that's a much better way than coming to your porch and putting twenty dollars under a flower pot and then taking a bottle home. <laughs> I so mean, it's not it. like I haven't done that before. Oh, I was, I was going to say, Jerry and I have talked about this. A buddy of mine used to uh, go up in the hills of Tennessee, and no kidding, there was a, uh, there was what they called the moonshine stump, where you would go up there and you'd put your twenty dollar bill under a rock come back in 24 hours and pick up a mason jar of moonshine. So, yeah, so it's, it's a true deal. <laughs> God, I can't imagine what that tastes like. Uh, it, you could clean a carburetor with it. I'm not even kidding. It was, it was horrible. Well, we're really bummed that Middleburg didn't happen. Um, yeah. because we were looking forward to that. We had planned to actually go there. And then of course, I don't know, maybe it'll happen next year. I hope so. I was looking forward to it as well. Yeah, I, I was. I just listened to your episode one of your podcast where you were you were talking to um oh let's see Brian uh, Brian Brian Robinson yeah and you guys were talking about that and he was saying that it was happening and I'm like oh man <sighs> oh <laughs> it's very sad actually I know I have a couple other episodes that are ready to go I've, I'm not as experience with podcasts as you guys are oh but, good lord please you uh, flatter us <laughs> <laughs> one of them is the bell epoch um with laura bellucci from new orleans but i figured i would wait until she has a lounge to serve people at again before i launched that oh podcast. that's that's but, a good idea it's very yeah. yeah yeah well now let me let me start off uh, and ask a couple questions because these are the big questions that have been uh burning for me uh, well, burning in the sense of you don't want to burn your absinthe, number one. That's like, that's a like rookie mistake. Right. Yeah. But, right. but uh, as far as, I guess, I guess let's just jump right in. How was it that you discovered absinthe? Like, what was it? Where were you? What were you doing? And what got you into this uh, wonderful elixir that we enjoy? You know, I love this story. One of my favorite nights of my life. It was 1996 in San Francisco. And I was at a Cacophony Society party called the Proust Wake. Wow. And there were Proust readings. There was a nearly life-size cake that looked like Proust laying in a coffin. And there was this green liquid, sort of green clear liquid in this in this crystal bowl and I didn't know what it was and I was kind of afraid of it at first remember this is you know 1996 at that point right 
what had been told about absinthe was just, you know, really crazy stuff. Right. All the missing. I wasn't even really sure what it was, but I'd sort of maybe heard of it a little bit. Anyway, I finally got brave enough and I had a glass and I loved it. Um, I don't think it was actually real absinthe that I was drinking, but it was as close as you can get in the 90s in San Francisco. Sure. And um, I asked my friend for the recipe and I started making it. And I served my first bottles of bootleg absinthe about four months later on April Fool's Day, 1997. And that night, my friend started calling me Absinthia. And I... Which, by the way, is one of the best uh, best monikers <laughs> ever. Uh, I think that is absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. It is. Um, I've since made it my legal name. Oh, you did? I was just going to ask if that was uh, merely like a nickname, but you went, you, you legally changed your name. I legally changed my name. I didn't have to change my last name. My last name I discovered meant Wormwood. While I was reading the uh, the Barmy Conrad book all about absinthe a couple of years Get after, out of town. That, Are you kidding oh, that's, me? That's total fate. It's that is fate. fate. That yeah. is. That yeah. is. That's amazing. So the absinthe recipe that I started with was really just using you know some some Everclear or whatever alcohol I could find that was clear. I never used vodka um, and herbs, and I started having a friend grow wormwood and anise and and fennel and all that for me organically in her garden up in Northern California. And friends were making some um, you know grape based alcohol, and I was combining it, but I wasn't really distilling it for for quite some time and. You know, I, I knew that I wanted to make it taste better. I knew that I wanted to make it with organic ingredients and I wanted to make it vintage. So now the product that I have available is a uh, organic distilled absinthe based on vintage recipes. So it's made wow. the same way absinthe was made a hundred and whatever years ago. See, so you were saying that you actually, when you first got started, you were doing just the maceration, correct? You were just right. throwing stuff together, putting it in a bottle and let it sit for uh, six months or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Wow. So what was the shift for you? Because I know there is such a big difference because I got, I got into absinthe in around probably 92 after reading a horrible, uh, a misinformation filled article in Cigar Aficionado. It was basically an advertorial for uh, absinthe of the, the stuff that pretended to be absinthe back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, still does. Yeah, and still and does still for, for the most part. Uh, and I read it, I just got intrigued by it, and I was like, wow, this is the most amazing thing ever. And then started doing my research, got into uh, some underground bulletin boards with other absinthe people, went to a couple uh, parties and stuff where these people were actually distilling their own stuff. So I guess my question for you on this is, when did the shift happen? Where did you buy your first uh, Alambic is what I want to know. Or maybe I shouldn't say where, but when did you buy your first Alambic and how was your experience in distillation? Um, so I've never actually owned my own still. I've always worked with other distillers to produce my own recipe. Oh, you didn't like you didn't have something in your basement that was like a mad scientist laboratory or something. <laughs> I I did not know. Oh. While I was doing it on my own, I was not distilling it, and then I started working with distillers who make my recipes for me, and we we really we played together. But you know, I always thought that I I really I want to own my own brand. I want to make my own absinthe exactly the way I want to make it, but. And I see this now with the distillers that I work with. I never wanted to own my own distillation company. I worried that if I can compare it to owning a bar or the stage, right? right, You're not the one performing on the stage. You're the one that's really busy trying to keep the stage booked every night. Right. I wanted to be the one that had the product that was made. I didn't want to have to worry about keeping that still at capacity. So I would have to pay my bills, essentially. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that well, was that was always the plan. Well, that's pretty good. So what? Well, because you, you had called it bootleg absinthe, and I, I was imagining that you had some sort of like small alambic you bought off eBay or something, and you were doing it on a hot plate somewhere in the house or something like that. But you actually were working with major distilleries. Yes. Yes. Wow. I was with major distilleries. I was working with people with with, with small batch distillers. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, who would who would make it? Yeah, who would make it the way I want to make it? And um, ne- you know, my my first distiller 
didn't had never even really heard of absinthe and so it was really i brought the product and we developed it together i remember back back in 2013 you had an indiegogo going for mariposa absinthe that's and, right because I, so I remember we were we were plugging it for you even back then so is is was that the first um batch you were making with a distiller or is it yes yes that's correct wow. That's correct. So, and that brand I couldn't keep because the trademark office wanted me to, they looked at the word Mariposa, decided that it meant something else in English, which is another brand name. And so I couldn't. Oh, good. <laughs> Even though it's a, the name of a place. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, what the problems of St. George went through with their logo. Yeah. For yeah. The, logo, the original yeah. logo, because they thought it was too hallucinogenic looking. Well, and the thing is that I always wanted to call it Absinthia's Absinthe. You know, that's right. what, what my friends always referred it to, and that's always what it was. And Mariposa was sort of this backup because the TTB had already rejected the name Absinthia. Right. Anyway, St. George wasn't the only ones that had issues. I It took me 23 months and three three revisions to get my labels approved. Dan and has some stories I'm about on, his. Now I'm on month nine, I think, of my Absinthe Verit labels getting approved. Oh, wow. You know, isn't that, the, isn't that it, though? It's like you can have the best product in the world and you still have to uh, take the same time and care in the labeling and in the marketing and in the presentation of the product. I get it. I get it. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, I've had I've had my Absinthe Verit ready for over a year now, but it's not available yet. And it's it's frustrating. But, you know, one of the things that I've realized as a maker over the years is that you just got to be patient. Things things get made as they want to get made. It's not really up to us. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Kind of rolls out as it is meant to roll out. That's right. So it would be illegal for you to send us samples then, right? <laughs> you know, I've been I've been waiting for the technology until they get to the point to where I can download alcohol. The internet's <laughs> useless to me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we, I mean, we can talk after the show. But... Okay. Perfect. I like that. I like it already. I'll have a $20 bill on your porch under the flower pot. There you go. I mean, speaking of downloading, I'm really thrilled that in the last few months I've been able to have that e-commerce shop where I can sell my absence to most of the states in this country. So that's been really exciting for me. Oh, nice. And, and I can vouch that it arrived safe and very well packaged. Oh, I've heard that from everyone, and I'm really, really pleased that the warehouse that I'm working with is handling it so well. I've had nothing but good reviews about that, and so that makes me really happy. Yeah, it was. It's double boxed, and it's completely enclosed in this this air pack stuff, and and uh, and peanuts on top of it. And so it there was no way you would have had to have run that over with a forklift to break it. So. <laughs> Well, we don't recommend trying it. We don't recommend no. trying that. That's well, and as as you guys know about Absinthe, it's such a niche product and people either love it or hate it or are just completely confused by it. And so for years, I was beholden to bartenders and distributors. Right. And it's really, really nice to be able to speak directly to my customers. Yes. I think that's super important. One of the biggest complaints I have had ever since absinthe was legalized. In fact, a uh, uh, short backstory on us. I actually had a company uh, four years. Was it four years or three years? Three or four years four. before absinthe got legalized. We had a company, we were trying to get it uh, to get it legalized. Like we were sending bottles to the ATF. We had, I had a business partner in Spain who had the liquor operation. I had a uh, our law guy in Berkeley, and I had another marketing guy in Louisiana, and myself, and we were we were sending boxes and boxes to the ATF, and we kept getting stuff back to saying, nope, it's illegal, and our law guy would go, hey, can you please send us the documentation that says that it is illegal to have absinthe, and, and we'd never get a response. Right. We would never get a response. And then, you know, God bless him, uh, 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 Ted Bro and and his company, I guess they were able to get a lobbyist down there to to get a stay or, or something like that. And he was able to put the stake in the ground first. 
Um, but all that to say, I wanted to talk to you about the legalities of being a liquor dealer in that sense. What have you run into that has been uh, the biggest challenge in being a alcohol distributor? Well, I'm not a distributor. Okay. Well, then that challenge is, uh, is fixed. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, it's a, I mean, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint any one particular challenge. There's so many challenges. Right. Um, anyone who's been in business knows that just being in business itself is a challenge. Yes. There's, oh God, where do I even begin? I mean, in the beginning, some of the challenges that I had were just figuring out which pieces of paper I had to fill out to get which licenses. Worked with some pretty great alcohol attorneys to help me with that, although they were very expensive. If if I were to do it again, now knowing what I know, I would do it all myself. But in the beginning, I had to hire attorneys to help me figure everything out. Right. Because you don't uh, know. You just don't, you don't know. Just don't know. There's no book, you know. Right. Um, you should write the book. I've, I've been thinking about it. I'm a little busy, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> In all that spare time you have, uh, write, right, write right. a novel. Um, one of the challenges that I had was simply being taken seriously as a woman in business in the alcohol industry. See, now that's, that was actually another question I had. I, I, I have met so few. Well, in fact, you're the only one uh, like, uh, like women who are in the distillation industry. I've, I mean, there have been a couple, there are a few notar- notable ones in, you know, in the bourbon industry and, uh, and, and whiskeys and such like that. But you're, to, to the best of my knowledge, unless I am misinformed, you're the only uh, woman absent uh, professional that I know of. I I know that there is one out of Texas, but I don't know if it's actually her business or she's their representative. But um, there's not many of us. And when I was at the absinthe meetup at Tales of the Cocktail, oh boy, what was that, three, maybe four years ago now, I was the only woman in the room. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went out and I got my MBA and I used those three letters after my name on any communications for work. Of course. And it really has made a huge difference. Now my, my undergrad, my undergrad was in, I'm an artist, you know, and on some level I needed to go out and get that education and it was important, but it's also really, I did it for the perception. Right. So that was a, that was a business challenge. Um, you know, here we are 10 months later, still waiting for the verts and, um, uh, you know, whether it's the, the TTB with the formula, with the, with the label or their, their formula testing agency, like people just don't understand exactly what I'm doing. And I'm having to fill out the same piece of paper using different words, but not changing. Uh, right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Now, do you find, what do you find is the biggest discrimination against women in this in the alcohol industry, because I, I, I get that it's kind of a good old boys club on a lot of levels, but how have you been able, at least in your experience, to break through that? I don't want to, uh, it's the only phrase I can think of, through the glass ceiling, as it were, to get to enter in and be taken seriously. You know, one way is through collaboration. Uh, I have been asked to join, about a year ago, I was asked to join the Women's Cocktail Collective. Mm-hmm. And there's currently, I think, about 25 or so women brand owners. And we have had events together. And we recently did a photo shoot with a big brand that's coming out in October together. And we share information and knowledge. And it's, I think, something that women do really, really well is collaborate over compute. And it's been wonderful to be part of that community. Wow, that's awesome. And I'm I'm sure you made uh, some lifelong friends through that process as well. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Wow. Dan, you're so much better than I am in interviewing. I, I'm just sitting here. I, I just made my second absence. <laughs> <laughs> so, see, as you could tell, obviously, I talk too much because I haven't even had my first absence uh, yet. So that's a sad. No, it's sad keep. Thing. I'll, I'll, you keep. You keep interviewing and i'll keep drinking i'll keep drinking right well, tell us how how are you enjoying it how are you drinking it i'm loving it i i have it i have, have it properly louched with nice cold water i used a um uh, a trick that you 
taught us via the internet back in, I think it was like 2011 that you put a spoon in the freezer and ah. then put, put that spoon in there and that'll cool it down first. And uh, I'm, I'm using one sugar cube because uh-huh. it doesn't really need much. In fact, it probably doesn't even need that. I don't think it needs any sugar. And that's actually something that I would love to talk about for a moment. Yeah, sure, please. sure. I really feel that if your absinthe needs sugar, it's not a well-crafted absinthe. I believe that the sugar is used to mask a harsh and bitter flavor. Right. And so I very intentionally made an absinthe that was... Now, I intentionally made it very drinkable with cold water and no sugar. What I didn't expect to have happen was that I have customers who like to drink it neat. Oh, yeah. really? I was going to say that because when I first got it, the first thing I did was crack it open and pour a half shot and just try it. And it was perfectly drinkable all by itself. Wow. It really was. Now but, I'm really uh, intrigued. Now I, now I feel left out of the club. I feel like I, I feel like I'm over here on the sidelines, just going, "Really? Wow, that sounds great, guys." <laughs> We've got a bottle for you, don't you worry. All right, very good. All right, I feel better now. But I, I do have to say, the the main reason I put sugar in is because I got a sweet tooth, and I'm, and I'm addicted to the sugar. So, but ah. yeah, I, it, See, it, I'm not a, I'm not a sugar fan, so I like it with just cold water. It's a little yeah. too hot for me to drink neat, which is why I say I was surprised when I have. When I heard that customers really enjoy drinking it without water, with you know just neat in a glass, but I I love that feedback. I mean, it says right in the front of the Worman Society website, "Don't drink absinthe neat." Well, I think there was a reason for that back in the day when you were getting you know the uh, like some of the crap from Czechoslovakia. I don't even think you can call that absinthe, but crap, uh, crapsinth, crapsinth. Yes, exactly. That phrase. Because it was it was just it was so horrible. And it was so strong, and it was, oh my God, we could go off on a whole tirade about horrible <laughs> But I, I think that and that's we probably, have, <laughs> and we have multiple times. I'm sure. Uh, but I, I think that's that's part of the of you know of learning. I think you, as much as I hate to admit it, I have drank some of the worst absinthe in the world, and I'm glad I did because it really helped educate my palate. Uh, to really appreciate well-crafted absinthe. Like, uh, you know, I remember drinking Matahari, and I remember drinking oh. Le Torment. And Le like, Torment. Oh, Le, Le Torment, <laughs> aptly named. I mean, we like to bag on Le Torment every single uh, podcast, but it really, it, it they were horrible. And they yeah, were... Much more positive outlook on drinking crapsinth than I've ever well, I try. I try to to have some sort of positive I spin on. I love that positive outlook because my concern is that absinthe now has been legal for what thirteen years. Right. Yeah. And most people either still believe that it's hallucinogenic or toxic, oh my God. or illegal, or ear, or illegal, oh, or they've had it and it tastes like garbage. Yes. And they think they don't like it. Right. Yeah. That's so why I always I always keep a bottle of mediocre absinthe in my house so that when friends come over and say, Oh, is that absinthe? I've never tried that before. I let them try something kind of middle of the road in case they go, Oh my god, this is horrible. And then I have to drink five glasses. <laughs> we used to we used to uh, bag on Lucid a lot, but we Lucid did. has gotten way better, we've noticed. Yeah. I it's yeah. perfectly drink I I will and what what I like about it is it's readily available, and it's yeah. it, it and it's not absente. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. You know, I think that could be just about any absence catch line. We're really good, and we're not absente. So thank you. <laughs> I could see that on a T-shirt. I think that would that would be very very good. Now let me I'll, let I'll me up. let me let me throw this at you because this has been a major stick in my craw since absence got legalized is that none of the people bringing it in really know how to market it. There has been little to no effective marketing for this, which in one sense, it's good because, you know, it's kind of like your favorite band. It's like, you don't want them to get too popular because then everybody loves them. But yet at the same time, it's like you go, oh my God, it could it could really be taking off if somebody would just 
get creative and spend the money. I mean, you know, uh, Manson's had a few ads out with his Manson. I've seen uh, billboards for Lucid uh, around the airports down here in Los Angeles. But by and large, it just feels, at least to me, my experience has been that nobody really knows how to market absence to the general public. I think that's absolutely correct. And I really feel like absence has chosen me to help it overcome its anti-absence propaganda. Like I feel like my life's work is to help absence be understood and have people realize that it's actually safe, it's good to drink, and it can taste really good when it's well-made. But I don't have, you know, the deep pockets that a brand needs to do a big campaign. So I'm, you know, I'm doing what I can. But um, yeah, I can't, I certainly can't go out and, and plaster the country with absent ads yet. We'll see. Maybe we'll get there. Well, that, that has always been the whole reason we do this podcast is to help absinthe in the general public's eye as much as we can. The only problem is we're such a niche podcast. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Much like absinthe itself. Yeah, so it kind of trapped. That's why we. That's one of the reasons why we changed it to the Green Hour, to be more inclusive, and then it also we'll talk about music and stuff like that to draw right. people in with other topics. And, and 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 then what are we doing? Oh well, we're drinking absinthe as we're podcasting, and then what? Well, what's that? What? What? And then. Right. It's like one of those after-school specials. It's like, if you're not careful, you might learn something. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just yelling into an echo chamber. Exactly. 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 Well, so now, what are your plans for the future? I mean, uh, other than world domination, uh, as far as your absinthe goes, like, what are your next steps or what can you tell us? Because, I mean, I, I get that business plans are fairly secretive, but I was just curious, like, what are your next steps other than finishing your label, of course, and getting that taken? Yes. So like, so what's your what's your five year plan? The the absinthe vert is hopefully coming out soon. Oh, very nice. Uh, working on a barrel aged absinthe. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, do Ooh. tell, do tell. Nice. Uh, too soon to tell, but okay. in the in the works. And then there are other products out there. Given that my last name is Vermouth, right. There, other products out there that traditionally used wormwood that were not able to for many, many years because wormwood right. is so misunderstood. And so my five-year plan is to have a line of products that are made with all organic ingredients and that use wormwood. Wow. Right. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. And then I'm not sure if you guys have heard of my fairy dust. Well, no, no. I have not. No, I haven't. So I also have a second business that I do with a friend of mine, Jared Hirsch. Okay. And we make cocktail syrups. So oh, well, now our interest has peaked. Please continue, my dear. Yes. So we started the business about five years ago with a cocktail syrup he was making behind the bar. He's a, an award-winning mixologist here in Oakland, and it's called Caged Heat. It's a spicy Ooh. cocktail syrup. And when we expanded our line, I said, I want to make an absinthe-inspired syrup. All these years, I've been serving my friends and family absinthe. Every once in a while, someone says to me, God, I just love absinthe, but I can't drink. What can I do? Oh, And so we made an absinthe-inspired syrup called Fairy Dust. It's right. a simple syrup with wormwood, fennel, and anise. And it actually won gold medal in the World Spirit, the San Francisco World Spirits competition. Wow. And we're up for a USA Today Reader's Choice Award. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, so Fairy Dust Cocktail Syrup is an absinthe-inspired syrup. It's wonderful with just some bubbly water and a slice of lemon. Oh, my God. Can I pour it on pancakes is what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, hey, you know what? Uh, if you, you have a, a red eye in the morning with, uh, you know, some absinthe in your coffee, you might as well have it on your pancake. Yeah, so so we've got the fairy dust, and I've got the absinthe blanche, and soon the absinthe vert, and if all goes well, a barrel-aged absinthe, and then some more products that um, I'll be able to talk about within a year or so. I'm so excited for that barrel-aged absinthe. Now, it, it, without giving away anything, can I ask, is it like, 
is it like just a a charred barrel that you're using, like a freshly charred barrel? Was there something in it before, or what? What can you? What uh, top secret thing can you uh, give our listeners? You know what? We actually haven't quite determined exactly what route. We're just we're experimenting now. Okay. So Fair we don't know exactly which route is going to work out the best. Okay. All right. So it'd be but safe to say that a Tabasco barrel was out of the question. <laughs> yes. We will start with the Blanche. So okay. it will be the Blanche that we barrel age. Oh, gosh. That just. I want to buy a barrel of it. That's a, I just want to buy a barrel <laughs> and have it on tap in my bar in the back room. That would be amazing. Now, in now your tiki bar. In the tiki bar. Well, that goes with the. That, I'm sure they have uh, absinthe and tiki bars somewhere. But here's my here's my other question that I have because I I I collect absinthe stuff like I'm an absinthe and a collector you know it's like I the, the the one thing I have I've got I've got a spoon that somebody gave me from the 1800s beautiful beautiful Ooh. spoon and I've got you know all the repros and all that and you know a few crystal glasses from back in the day and the match strikers and all that stuff what do you do you collect any of this or are you strictly like I'm making absinthe that's my gig I don't really care about all the paraphernalia No I think every absinthe is a collector I think it's just one of those things that we all do mm-hmm. I have I have buy pre-band bottles I have bottles from the Czech Republic that I would never drink uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have spoons I have glassware I have Balenciere and um gosh what is it called a little it's it's a clear glass thing. It sits in the glass and there's a hole. Oh, the dri- the dripper. The uh, what what's the the uh, Br- brulee or something yeah, like that? The yeah, the brulee. Right. Have absinthe fountains. Um, you know, and I also I do events, right? So oftentimes, if I'm setting up a table, so for example, about oh gosh, what was it? Last November, I think I did science of the cocktail at the Exploratorium in San Francisco. <sighs> Oh God, I miss that place. And yes. And I, I set up this, this table and I had just absolute paraphernalia all over it. I had little jars full of wormwood and, and anise and, right. and um, you know, just everything on the table. And then I also had signage describing the louche effect because I wanted to be in the science theme. Right. And yeah, so I have a I have a ton of absinthe paraphernalia. It's so fun. Like, why wouldn't you? Exactly. That's what I thought. I, I figured, you know, anybody who's been into absinthe, like at some point after they they buy their first bottle, it's like, oh, well, I gotta have a glass. Oh, I gotta have a spoon. Right. You know, it's yeah. like it, it's like it becomes it becomes a, a snowball, and the next thing you know, you've got a room full of. Uh, you know all sorts of paraphernalia. It's just yeah, it's, and then friends always give me gifts. I have a little um, a little absinthe. Uh, well, I have that little green fairy. I have her on a on a stopwatch and a cigarette case and oh, nice. and I mean just you know lots of little tchotchkes around the house. Right, right. Well, now like, let me just ask you this question because this is something that over the years of of drinking absinthe and trying different brands and really seeing how the how the industry has blossomed and really grown and really it, it despite uh its best effort, efforts to almost be secret the industry has grown and there have been some really great absinthe out there what are your personal favorites that you really enjoy and the second part of my question is have you found yourself like drinking something and trying to figure out what the flavor is uh, that's in it and maybe incorporate it into something you're doing? Or or have you remained true to your recipe? I recently bought a bottle of a limited edition Zufanek, which is out of the Czech Republic. I believe Zufanek is the only brand in the Czech Republic who's doing it right. Really? he, He had recreated... What was it? Zufanek seventeen eighty nine or I'm gonna look it up real quick. Yeah, that's uh, I'm I'm so surprised that anything from the Czech Republic has uh is what you would call drinkable. Yeah, Zufanek I remember is yeah. really, really good. And he I'm not finding exactly which what year it is, but he made a very small batch. Wait, is that it? Zufanek seventeen ninety eight. 
he found a vintage bottle and did some some sort of cross reference backwards something or other to figure out the recipe. Right. I took one sip of this, so a limited edition. I got a I got a bottle of it. I took one sip of it and I just went, oh, that's why nobody was drinking wine. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's not available anymore. I have about a half bottle left that I'm saving. Um, right. It is wonderful. Wow, I am I am so impressed and surprised uh, that that anything that came out of the Czech Republic was remotely drinkable, other yeah, than yeah, using absolutely. maybe for a uh, Molotov cocktail or something. And, <laughs> no, Zufanek is doing it right. And to be honest, I would never speak badly of anyone who's making absinthe in the right way. I'm so happy when I see people doing it in the right way, there's not enough of us out there to even worry about competition because it's absolutely market. It's a small growing market. And I just, I feel, you know, like I was talking about collaboration before, I feel like we're all in this together and let's all help absent get out there and, and be enjoyed more. You know, I, I watched a documentary on bourbon. I, and that was really the same vibe that I got from all the bourbon makers was, uh, the the bourbon trail, I guess, all the absinthe makers in that area would help each other out. Like somebody's, you know, uh, distillery caught fire and they needed uh, to borrow us, you know, a big still. And then and everybody pitched in and they helped each other. And it was like you said, it felt like it felt more like a family than a competition. And of course, there's always going to be friendly ribbing back and forth about each other's product and such. But overall, in my experience, the uh, the the hard spirit industry really seems more like a brother and sisterhood uh, than it is like people fighting over scraps of land to own. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And we all know that it's really our job to help educate people. And so you'll see all of us on different forums on mostly on Facebook helping people out you know people will say hey i just bought this bottle of absente it's my first bottle of absinthe, and i'm so excited and we're all like hey so maybe you want to think about getting a true absinthe and here are some ways that you can help identify what is a real absinthe and what is not right yeah i just point them to the wormwood society i'm <laughs> just like go there yes yeah, yeah. and the and the good news the good news is there are plenty of people like yourself that are willing yeah. to help people out and like say you know what like you said and there was no absence shaming it's like you don't go oh my gosh you're you're an idiot for buying that bottle it's like you know yeah that's it's a nice pastis if you want to just drink something that isn't absent uh but why don't you try something like kubler as a starter or something like whatever you know the, the absent uh, uh that's actually real absent instead of the, the play absent like absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yes, like yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> I think you should have a starter bottle for people. I think it's like I think that would be a good idea. I think you could do it. You know, because my absinthe is so drinkable and smooth, a lot of people have said that it's a very, very good starter absinthe. As you get more into it, you may want something stronger, a little bit more bitter, a little bit more powerful, but, but mine is a very, it's a very subtle absinthe. And so oftentimes people will drink it and they've either never had it, heard it was terrible or had a bad experience. And their response is, Oh, I actually like it. And wow. I, love that. I love that response. I wow. would totally second that. This is a perfect starter absence. And in fact, from this point on, Absinthia absinthe is going to be the one that I suggest when someone says I want to try it. Oh, and I'm and I mean that and and you're not paying way. me to say that. You're not paying me to say that. So. <laughs> I am not. And, and and I bought the bottle. He did. He did buy yet, the bottle. So. <laughs> I, however, am open to bribery. So if you <laughs> yeah. feel like if you want to you know, send a bottle my way, I'll I'll be glad to to sing your yeah. praises from the rooftop. Yeah, you That's get it. you gotta watch out for Dan. He he wants a lot of free stuff. I, I'm okay with that. And then the right. where you are in LA, barkeeper and KL and um uh flask over in Studio City, I believe, are the three that carry it currently. Okay. Oh, very good. So not too far away. So not too far away. And then um, all those shops. I'm down behind the orange curtain, so it's it's an easy drive. There you go. Okay. 
But then there's always shopabsynthia.com. That's the easiest way. And like, yes, you, you, well, you want to bypass the middleman and go straight to the source. That's that's what I always tell people. It's like, yeah. go right there. Now, do you have any? Uh, do you have any uh, swag that you sell on your site? I apologize for not uh, getting to your site in time to do a full review of it. She before. does have a whole bunch of really good um, uh, recipes. I've noticed. Anyway. Oh. Carry yeah. on. So there's there's technically because of the way the laws are set up, it's two websites. Shopabsynthia.com is where you can buy a bottle. Right. And then absynthia.com is the website where I have over a hundred different recipes. They're all sorted by base alcohol. So my intention with that was if someone's home with a bottle of absinthe and a bottle of gin, they can just select gin and all the gin recipes that contain absinthe pop up. Oh wow. And then we also have Absinthia hoodies and Dasher bottles. What else do we have? I, I make candles, or I have actually have a friend of mine in Napa who makes candles out of my, my used bottles. So when back when we were all getting together and having events, right, right. I would collect my bottles at the end of the night and send them up to Napa, and they come back as these gorgeously scented Absinthe candles. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're an anise and coriander scented soy wax. So they're super Oh my cool. gosh, that must be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that unfortunately that's on a different storefront than where the alcohol is, but that's just you know, well, again, they're connected. Complicated, those complicated laws. They are connected. Yes, but it's two different stores. I'm surprised you don't have your own absinthe spoon yet. I did. You and did. it was based on the Mariposa absinthe. So it was right. a butterfly made by the incredibly talented artist, Kate Roudenbush. Yeah. But now that I have an absence where I talk about how it doesn't need sugar. Right. The spoon ah. counter to that. Oh, the spoon does, it, it kind of becomes irrelevant, actually. Kind of does. Yeah. Now, that's something, too, that, uh, that I meant to say earlier when we were talking about uh, having an absinthe spoon and, you know, using sugar and things like that. I mean, early on in, in my absinthe drinking experience, I thought that that was what you had to do, that it was all part of the ritual, which I get, you know, and, and you can still do it. And, you know, no shame in your game. But like you said, most of the absinthe being made today is actually sweet enough to not, I mean, like, like Jerry was saying, just cold water. It's like all, all it needs. And, and like you were talking about as well, it's uh, I prefer just I, I call it quick and dirty. It's like I'll just I'll put the absinthe in and I'll pour cold water until it gets to the point of, you know, the, what I prefer in a luge. And then I'll just drink it like that. It's like uh, there are times where I enjoy having the fountain and letting the water, you know, drip, drip, drip. And I when I have people over who are uh, new to the absinthe experience and, you know, I'll you know, you want to show off a little bit. So you bring out your fountain and you set up the nice glass and, right. and you say, now watch, watch as the water goes in. Look at the bottom. You'll see the fairy start to be released. And, you but know, in go reality, we're dealing with Americans and Americans don't have that kind of patience. So when you go to a bar, <laughs> you know, I've had bartenders say to me, oh, we don't do absent service. We, we're just too busy. We're too fast paced for that. I look at them. And I said, absent service. You don't need to have absent service. Right. So one of my favorite ways to drink it, and I have been scolded by members of the absinthe community for this. But oh, I've, Lord, what did you do? <laughs> I've really thought about it, and I understand. I've, I've come to a point where I understand what's happening. So I actually love taking a big round or a big square, those beautiful ice cubes that you can get. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've got that. The glass up, one giant ice cube, filling the glass up, and just sort of swirling it until it starts to loose. Oh, I've done that. And then I've done that. And it's not traditional, which is why I've been scolded. But, the, the, you know, they say, well, it's it's not traditional and the loosh is going to change because as the ice melts and you really shouldn't because, you know, you want to loosh it in a certain ratio. But my feeling is that they didn't have that kind of big, giant ice cube. Right. Right. Back pre-ban in the late 1800s. That just, yeah, they'd have to carry it down from a mountain somewhere. Exactly <laughs> on a burrow, they'd have to bring that thing. And that big ice, what's so nice about it is that it doesn't melt quickly because it's a giant right. chunk of ice. 
And so I, for a while there, I was afraid of talking about that that's really my favorite way of drinking my absinthe. And now I'm like, wait a minute, it's not traditional because the ice didn't exist. It doesn't melt and change the luge that quickly. By the time that big block of ice is going to melt, I'm on to the next glass anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a great point. I have a question for you, a quick question, because I'm about to go for my third glass. So <laughs> before he passes out. <laughs> no, no, no. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do it without sugar. Uh-huh. Uh what's the ratio that you recommend for it? Because um, I usually go two to one. It really depends. So I like to actually do it visually. Uh-huh. Pour the absinthe in and then just keep adding cold water slowly until it gets to that right luge that you like. Now okay. everybody likes it is two and a half to three parts water is about right, depending on who you are, how much absinthe you've drunk, what your palate is. And people new to absinthe, of course, are going to want a lot more water. Right. Um, and when I'm serving events, before I pour some in a glass, I will ask them, you know, what's your experience with absinthe? And if they're like, oh, I love absinthe, then they get less water. Right. Uh-huh. If they're brand new to absinthe, a little scared, I'm going to water it down a little bit. Right. I usually go for a two to one, maybe a one and a half to one, depending on where the loose point is. Yeah. But yeah. most of the people that I have served in the past have gone, oh, I need a little bit more. And so it's like sometimes it goes up to three. And then at that, at that point, I say, but let that settle in for a minute and then, and then enjoy. Because you certainly don't want it to be like, you know, watered down uh, Kool-Aid or anything. So, Jerry, I'm curious what works for you. You're going to pour it right now. I actually already did. I just took a picture of it so I could put it on the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, I think, because I, I eyeballed it, I think I've got, I think it's one and a half. Okay. To one. Yeah. So, beautiful, beautiful aroma. Nice. It's like f- flowers almost. Oh, yeah. Total, totally drinkable without sugar. Uh, no more sugar for me with this. This is good. Yeah, it just doesn't need it. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's it's very um, subtle. Um, it's very refined. It's kind of a, a very buttery mouthfeel to it. I, I just, it's this is a good one. This is Thank high you. on my list, that's for sure. Thank you. I'm so glad that you guys love it. Yeah. Well, Jerry loves it. Dan, you have to try it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, can, I can love it in spirit, apparently. Uh, I so. Uh, through osmosis, uh, Jerry and I share the same brain uh, three days a week. So <laughs> it's like I, I can know, experience it that way. For his 60th birthday, I actually flew out there right before this pandemic thing ha- happened. And uh, we went on a shopping spree. And oh uh, how God. many absents did we buy? Like oh six God. or. Uh, and and, and then. Or yeah. And then during his birthday party, more people brought other brands in. So he's yeah. got quite a collection there. And, I, I went from zero to 60 in like uh, one, <laughs> one hour. It was, yeah. awesome. it was awesome. And, and uh, my, my collection is actually dwindling because I haven't been shopping for about a year. And last time I went, I, I go up to Chicago where there's plenty and I bought like $500 worth and I brought it home and I'm like, well, this is going to have to last me a year. And I'm like, uh Oh, it's not quite lasting me a year. <laughs> Right. You're so, home drinking a lot more than you used to be, I'm sure. It, it, well, aren't it, we it, all? Aren't we yeah. All? yeah we that are. Is, have you noticed that during the um, this everybody at home thing that your your business is actually doing somewhat better? Well, I wish I could compare the e-commerce with the absinthe because mm-hmm. really that started as the as the pandemic hit. So didn't don't have any experience to compare that with, but the syrups business that we Went sell up. online is up over five hundred percent. Wow, well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. I'm it's happy great. for you. Thank you, thank you. Um, but it's I think it's very very telling. Um, friend of mine, he knows I'm into absinthe, and so he um, he says, "Here, I bought this for you, and it's a bottle of gin, uh huh, with with uh, wormwood extract in it." <laughs> Whoa. But it's actually pretty good. It's uh, Henrik's Obrium, I think it's called. Oh, right. But it 
doesn't loose or anything, but it is one of the only gins that I will just sit there and drink straight. When Yeah, when that came out last winter, there was quite the uproar that Hendrix was releasing. They were calling it an absinthe, but it's not really an absinthe, and um, people were going to get confused. And yeah, they they were calling it absinthe. Well, yeah, I think they were. Yeah, it's not now. It's it's just blasphemy. I say it's just it's just called gin with. With wormwood, no, no. Even even the wormwood part is in like little tiny letters. They're just calling obrium. I wonder now. Is that you bought that in America? Yeah, yeah um, I, wonder- I, I didn't buy it, but it was probably from a local store, and uh, it's it's uh, lotus flower and wormwood. I wonder if it has the a different label in the UK. Probably, which is one of those countries that never actually banned absinthe. Oh. Mm. It could very well be. You know, the first time I tried absinthe after I was looking for it forever was Finland. Really? Yeah. And uh, it turned out, what was it? I, I actually I had to go back and look at the picture because, of course, he lit it on fire. And I, uh, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> but but Don't I didn't know stuff. any better. I didn't know any better back then. And it was just plain old. Um, uh, it's the regular brand that that maybe isn't even absinthe. What was that called? Which which one are you talking about? Not Pernod. Pernod. But it I can't tell if the uh, label says absinthe superior if it's just Pernod. You know? Yeah. I can't I, tell. I, if it's not clear that it's absinthe superior, I would uh, assume it's not. Right. Well, also, they got caught. Because what they were calling, this was like a couple of years ago, I remember, they got caught because it was not really absinthe. And they finally came out and said, oh, yeah, well, okay, we've adjusted it. Now it really is absinthe. And we're like, you've been selling it as absinthe per no uh-huh. for like five or six years. And they're like, um, my bad. And also what happened to absinthe? Yeah. Yeah. They, they tried. They, they, yeah. <laughs> now better. Now with, with wormwood. wormwood. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> It's like a dish soap. Right. New right. With room. <laughs> yes. It's a carburetor cleaner and a beverage. Like it and it out. has a spider in it. Yeah, no kidding. Good God. Well, Absinthia, this has been such a wonderful conversation with you. Yeah, thank you. It's it's only been since 2011 I've been wanting to have you on. We're we're really slackers here. Yeah, we're a little <laughs> behind the times. Hey, we finally made it happen. We did. Yeah. We did. Yeah. Thank, thank goodness we got regular internet instead of that hand crank internet we had to get beforehand. To, uh, I know. There you go. There you go. I had to rewire up. No, it was a pleasure to speak with you guys. It's super fun. I, I I love speaking about absinthe, and I love talking to people who who understand it. Oh well, but thank you for talking to us, even though we don't know what the hell we're talking about. So <laughs> yeah, it works out very well. <laughs> thank you for joining us on the Green Hour, and good luck with your podcast. I'm list. I'm yes. I'm, uh, I, I want to hear more of them. Uh, so, so uh, well, now give us some shout outs for you. Uh, what uh, you know this? Yeah. This is your spot. You, uh, uh, plug away, my dear. Plug away. Ah, yes. Plug away. Well, I am a longtime absinthe thrower. I've been making absinthe for over 20 years. And my first product, an absinthe blanche, is available on shopabsinthia.com. We ship to almost every state. And we would love to ship to you. Recipes are available at absinthia.com. Nice. Very good. And, you, and that's where you can buy bottles of your absinthe you can also go to the other shop and pick up some hoodies or some t-shirts or uh you won't find a spoon there no spoons available but uh, everything else is there dasher bottles and candles nice i think that's very exciting and so where can people uh find your podcast uh the podcast is also on absinthia.com okay uh, so the bottles are shopabsinthia.com and then everything else is at absinthia.com and Hopefully, more podcasts are will be available soon. We'll see we, how that goes. We could, uh, we could uh, talk about that part offline because when 
I shouldn't be saying this on the show. <laughs> well, go ahead. Since you already started, you can't just right. say something. So, so we, uh, Dan and I were podcasting for years, and then we kind of like what they call pod faded. And then we came back because of this company. And I guess I'm going to give them a plug. It's anchor.fm makes it so easy to do a podcast. And they take care of everything for you. And you could even monetize it. And you're not spending a dime. And so that's the reason we came back to give it a try. And of course, we haven't made a dime. No, so, we have not made a dime. <laughs> so. Well, I took a podcasting class at, um, at, at, at Cal at Berkeley, which is not too far uh-huh. from Cal. So that was amazing. And um, yeah, it just, it really has not been a focus since the quarantine. But um, oh, yeah. You know, who knows? Maybe you guys will inspire me and I'll, and I'll get back on it. Well, it's it, definitely. It's, it's nice to know we've inspired somebody for something. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm glad about. Good Lord. Uh, okay. Well, um, I, I have to do this. We, we have a, uh, a guest mummy, and he always oh, wants yeah. to say something. Mm. There he is. That's what, so. you, she, she probably has no reference for that, Jerry. She's probably sitting there going, what the hell was that? And why are these people putting it on the show with me? I don't know. We we just think that's hilarious. That's an actual sound that went through a mummy's uh, larynx or something like yeah that no. they that they three D printed. <laughs> yeah, they three D printed this- a mummy's larynx and were able to force air through it to create the sound of what this three thousand year old Egyptian priest's voice would sound like, and th- and this is what they got. Mm. What? They got meh out of it. <laughs> yeah. And little did it little did they know that 2020 would be just the year for that. There yes, there is. This exactly. is definitely the year of Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, enjoy well, the absence. It was so great chatting with you guys. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And I look forward to trying and maybe Jerry will send me a, a thimble that has been uh, taped up with duct tape that I can uh, it's, Dude, it's not hard. Mine, mine is. It's already half gone. I'm, you drank. You drank half the bottle already. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> I'm feeling no pain. I was gonna say, yeah, so any, any sort of dental work would be a next order for your next order. When you buy two bottles at once, shipping drops down to two bottle to uh, two dollars. Oh, okay. I like that. Three bottles, and it ships for free. Oh, well, there you go. I have to buy three bottles, and then I'll send you a bottle, Dan, because Uh, you're too cheap to buy it yourself. Because I am too cheap, exactly. What would that make me? Would that make me an absinthe mooch? Would that be the correct term for that? I don't know. I I think you just coined it. I did. I think, yeah, great. Now I have to put on a business card. That's the worst ever. But anyway, Absinthia, thank you so much for being on the Green Hour with Dan and Jerry, and you uh, let me be the first to say, you are welcome back here anytime. Thank yes. you so much. Cheers. 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 It's Sherry. I am happy to announce that on August 1st, 2020, my latest novel is out. It's another comedy, fantasy, mystery, love story type novel. This one's set right before the pandemic hit. Well, because that's when I wrote it. And the main character is a down-on-his-luck tech entrepreneur who lost almost everything in a bad deal and a lawsuit and decides to reboot his life by opening up a computer repair shop for secret reasons of his own, in a small Oregon seacoast town. There he is seduced by a mysterious young witch, and while on a walk along the ocean one morning, he sees something he knows is impossible. And yet, 
there it is. This leads him into a secret the town has been keeping since the 70s and throws everything he's ever believed about reality right out the window. The book is called No Such Thing as Mermaids and is available now on Amazon.com and soon at most other major online bookstores, both in print and ebook editions. You could also find links to it on my personal website, jerryjdavis.com. Thanks. <laughs>